Good evening, and welcome to our Wednesday night service here at First Baptist Church of Easton. Uh, please turn in your Bibles, your iPhones, your iPads, on your computers to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19. Did you hear about the tailor who became a preacher? He went from hymns and alterations to hymns and alliterations. First Kings chapter 19, I'm going to read the first 10 verses, and this is the, the last message in the series on Elijah. The Bible says in verse 1, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, so let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, to take away my life for I am not better than my father's. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baked on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. The angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the God of, of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. I pray now that you'd meet together with us, even though we're not physically together. I pray that your spirit would be with each one of us this evening. I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit as I preach your word. And I pray, Lord, that you'd bless. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've seen in, uh, throughout the, the last couple months from Elijah uh, the time that he spent uh, telling the king that there would be no rain and pronouncing the judgment of God upon the nation of Israel. We saw him being cared for and fed uh, at the brook Cherith. We saw him go to Zarephath and be fed by a widow there. And then we saw his great victories. We saw him call down fire from heaven. We saw him uh, pray a prayer, uh, actually seven prayers, until a cloud came in rain and there was an abundance of rain. And so now we follow up that story with uh, this passage that the Bible has given us. And this is Elijah in crisis. Elijah in crisis. And often mountaintop experience, experiences are followed by valleys of despair. Sometimes I get a little antsy when I've had a great victory or something's come through. 
I'm like waiting for the other shoe to drop because of the valley. But oftentimes, following these mountaintop experiences comes these times of, of valleys. And victories especially make us vulnerable to the despairing arrows of Satan. If, uh, if, the, if the queen issues a decree for your death, do you stay or do you go? Um, if God had called you to, uh, as a missionary to a tribe of headhunters, do you stay or do you go? That was the decision that Jim Elliot had to make. Um, this country is being overrun by rebels, and your government says to get out. I had a missionary friend that were over in Liberia, and that was the decision that they had to make. The country was being overrun, and it wasn't safe for them. Do they stay or do they go? These are not, uh, these are difficult decisions. Even those, uh, for instance, some of the great missionaries, you know, your parents died on the field. Four of your nine children died on the field. Do you stay or do you go? These are difficult decisions to make. And Elijah had that. He was facing that difficult decision. And I don't think I can judge in any of these cases, right or wrong, whether someone decides to stay or whether they decide to go. Nor can I judge Elijah. But from the text, there are quite a few indications of things he could have done better. There are certain dangers inherent following great victories. And Satan throws these fiery darts, hoping to take down the victor. So notice, first of all, um, the danger. Okay. I'm sorry. Wow, that was quick, too. The danger of looking at circumstances. And this is the first three verses here, where he's faced with a challenge from Jezebel and... uh, until now, the only thing that had filled his vision was Jehovah. He was told to go to, um, to Ahab, and he went to Ahab. And he went as a spokesperson, uh, a prophet for Jehovah. And then when he was at the brook, he was, his focus was on Jehovah. When he went to Zarephath, his focus was on Jehovah. When he went to that mountain and he challenged the prophets of Baal and it was a challenge designed to show the glory of God to the people of Israel who had fallen into idolatry. His focus was on Jehovah. Now, all of a sudden, his focus has turned and his focus is on his circumstances. His focus is on Jezebel, and he begins to fear for his life. Uh, one man said, circumstances, natural impossibilities, difficulties are nothing in the estimation of the soul that is occupied with God. These things don't don't concern a child of God whose focus is solely on God. Now, he's looking through the wrong end of the telescope. Have you ever done that? Gotten a telescope and looked at it and seen the tiny, tiny people. And then he turned it around and then everything was bigger and clearer. Well, he got his uh, view distorted as well. Remember when God told Samuel to go and anoint David? And Samuel was concerned because he had just uh, been with Saul and, and had told Saul that the, the, um, the kingdom was being rent from him and that it was going to be given to another. And Samuel was kind of concerned because he said to God, if I go and Saul finds out, he's going to come and kill me. So God kind of gave Samuel an alibi. He said, go and do sacrifice in Bethlehem. And while you're there doing the sacrifice, 
anoint David to be king. So he had kind of a, an out if he was confronted that uh, he wasn't there to anoint a new king. He was there to do a sacrifice. So God took care of him. So even in this situation, God could have taken care of Elijah, but he chose to flee. And um, think about Peter walking on water, how he took his focus off of Christ, and he got his focus on the circumstances. He got his focus on the waves, and uh, it was very choppy. I know sometimes when we see pictures of Jesus walking on the water, um, it's like glass, and he's just walking across still waters. And it was a storm, and the storms in Galilee had had high waves and, and low, uh, you know, the, the boats would be tossed about. And so it was, it was very easy, in my estimation, when I kind of imagine this in my own mind, I'm thinking how easy it would have been with these waves coming up and almost crashing over you uh, to get your eyes off of Christ and to get and be concerned about what's going on around you. <clears throat> Taking our eyes off the source of our courage, we lose our courage. Um, and he, he went from here to Beth, uh, Beersheba. And Beersheba was 120 miles away. So he, he had taken a lot of time to, to go. And it's about a six-day journey um, from Jezreel. And remember, he had just run from Carmel to Jezreel, and he outran a chariot. I don't know how that's possible, but he was a pretty good runner. So he outran that chariot, and he, he ran to Jezreel. Then he finds out that she's going to kill him, and he takes off, and he goes to, um, goes to Beersheba. You know, but even Paul rejoiced in the midst of his imprisonment. Um, in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, in the story of the, uh, the Philippian jailer, and how they said that at midnight he was singing and, and praising God. Honestly, if I got thrown in jail, I, I, Paul's a much better man than I am. I don't, know that I'd, I don't know that I would be happy, number one, and I certainly don't think that I'd be praising God for being put into prison. Um, but that's exactly the situation that Paul was in. Hopefully, if that ever does happen to me, I'll have more grace and I'll be able to put up with that. But uh, one man said this, and I like this, Happiness depends on happenings. So our happiness is based on what's happening in our life. Rejoicing depends on our reality, but joy is in Jesus. So we can be joyful all the time in the fact that we have Jesus as our Savior and for what he's done in our life. Our joy is found in Jesus. Um, but secondly, not only was there a danger of looking at the circumstances, but there was a danger of praying foolishly. And this is in verse 4. And it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And then it says, um, he, And said, It is in, oh, no, I'm sorry. Let me read the verse. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. You know, it kind of reminds me of the story of Jonah. Jonah got upset and he sits under the gourd, uh, or the gourd grows up over him and he's sitting there pouting. Kind of a similar uh, picture here. But anyway, it says, uh, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am not better than my father's. So he says, kill me. Now, if he wanted to die, why didn't he just stay and let Jezebel do it for him? Evidently, he didn't like the method that she was going to use compared to the method he was asking for. But 
Um, but here he is. He's in despair, and he's asked for God uh, to kill him. And this type of despondency is common, but we must remember that it's temporary. A lot of times we get so focused on our problems that we forget that these are temporary situations. Nothing really lasts forever. And so he got his focus off of there, and he, he did not think about this as being a temporary situation. <clears throat> and we have to ask ourselves, too, in our situations that we face, is, it, is, is the cause of it removable? Is there something that is causing me to feel this way? And, you know, I, I used to be on Facebook. I, I still have it because I have pages or whatever that have to be taken care of. But I don't go on there anymore. And the reason I don't go on there anymore is it makes me anxious. And it gives me anxiety, and it, gives, and I'm, and it makes me angry when I read some of the stuff that's on there. And yeah, sure, I like to see you know, what the family's up to and that kind of thing. And the same can happen in Twitter, but I've been very selective of who I follow on Twitter. But even that sometimes, especially in the political circumstances, can make us anxious. And honestly, it was probably three months ago, I went on a media fast. I didn't, I didn't go on Twitter. I didn't go on Facebook. I didn't go on Instagram. I totally went through a fast where I had no contact whatsoever with any of these things <clears throat> just to purge my mind of all that junk and all that anxiety. But it's, it's easy for me to get away from that. So I can pull away from that. I don't have to have that anxiety. I don't have to worry about the politics in this country. I can pull away from that. Now, I'm concerned. I pray for our country. I pray about the needs of our country. I pray about the things that are going on in our country. But I don't have to be anxious about that. Uh, you know, I keep, I keep reminding myself that God is still on the throne. He's still in control. He hasn't abdicated anything to anybody over this, of, over this situation. He was well aware of this in eternity past. He saw this day in eternity past. So nothing has taken him by surprise. And remember, if you are doing your best, success and failure is not up to you. It's up to God. And that's something that we have to really remember when we're out soul winning. You know, we knock on doors and nobody's home. We knock on doors and they don't want to hear it. We knock on doors and we just keep going and we keep going. And our success or our failure, as long as we're doing our best, is not up to us. It's totally up to God. So those are things that we don't have to be anxious for. Those are things that we don't have to worry about. And the same was true for Elijah. He did not have to pray this prayer. He prayed foolishly about this. And um, he, think about this. He takes on all the prophets of Baal, but a single woman brings him to his knees. It's hard to believe, but I guess Samson faced a similar set of circumstances. Um, but it's hard to believe that facing these 450 to 850 prophets, he, he had total confidence and total success but one woman drove him to this. And he may have felt dejected that he had not extinguished idolatry from Israel. So while they said that God is the God, and while they professed this, their practice wasn't, wasn't that way. They didn't, they didn't stop their idolatrous ways. And uh, Jezebel didn't, wasn't defeated 
in this manner. She still had prophets. She still had Baal. She could still worship. So it wasn't that uh, things had turned around in the country, and he may have felt that dejection. He may have felt as though he was a failure in this situation. And basically, his ministry did not go the way he planned. See, he planned that God would get the glory, that Israel would, would have revival, and everyone would be converted, and they would destroy everything out of Israel, of Baal, and of worship that way. That was his plan. But, you know, that's not necessarily God's plan. And I'm sure God didn't want them to be in the idolatrous situation, but things didn't go the way he planned. And many times our frustrations are based on the things not going the way that we plan them, um, and not just spiritually. There have been times when, you know, you plan a party or a special event, and things just don't go the way you planned. And we can get frustrated. We can get upset. And, uh, and sometimes our frustration over that can spoil a good time, especially if when we're in it, we're frustrated and people see the frustration and, and they can feel that. And it's just that it doesn't go the way that we planned. And we have to remember that it's not our plan. We have to remember that it's God's plan. And God wants to use us for his plan, not for our own purposes and not for our own our own plan. And praying is not asking for what you want or what we want. It's asking for what God wants. We want God's will in every situation. And the Bible says that if we ask according to his will, we'll receive it. And we have to get that mindset. And sometimes, especially with uh, Psalm chapter 37 and verse 4, it's a very familiar verse that says, Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. And sometimes we think that God's going to give me anything I desire as long as I'm living for him and as long as I'm doing his will. But that's not really what the verse is talking about. The verse is talking about if we delight ourselves in the Lord, his desires become our desires. And so it's not that we get what we want, it's that we get what he wants. And so... Sometimes we have to remember and, and put our focus on God and put our focus on what he wants, and we delight ourselves in what he wants, and he'll give us those desires of his heart, but it'll be what, what we want in our heart as well. Um, we, must act, we must also exercise caution when making decisions or even prayers when we're exhausted and discouraged. So remember, he had just run a marathon, so to speak, uh, going to Jezreel. He had just uh, taken this travel, and he had to have been tired, and he was certainly um, discouraged. And so we have to be careful about making decisions during those periods of time. It's, that's not the best time for us to pray this prayer. He was discouraged, but he certainly shouldn't have prayed this kind of prayer. Sometimes God gives us a glimpse into the lives of these great people to show us that they are human as we are and not to worship him. You know, we, we find, especially in Moses, um, a lot of um, uh, challenges that, that Moses faced as a man. You know, he, he said he wasn't uh, eloquent of speech. Um, we don't know what, if, that, if it was a stutter or if he was just, uh, we, we do believe he was meek. We do believe he was somewhat timid. Um, but the Bible tells us that so that we don't, uh, exalt this person and put him on a pedestal. Now, see, the Pharisees weren't like that. The Pharisees put him on a pedestal. 
The Pharisees worshiped Moses more than they worshiped God. So we, that's what we find is that when we're making decisions, we shouldn't do it when we're discouraged. And God gives us these pictures of these people so that we understand that. F.B. Meyer, in speaking about this episode in Elijah's life, said, if it had not been for this, this particular scenario here, we should always have thought of him as being too far removed from us uh, to be in any sense a model. We should have looked on him as we do at a memorial of a race of giants with whom we have nothing in common. So if the story had ended with Elijah's successes, all of his successes, if that's all we knew about Elijah, then how would we have, have rectified he was a man of like passions? So if he's a man of like passions, but man, victory after victory after victory. So God gives us a glimpse into some of the downside of, of Elijah's life. And it, it always reminds me, when, we, when I read things like this, it always reminds me that if man had written the Bible, man would not have put in his own negativity. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have read about the negative things about men. We would have read about all their successes. And sometimes when you read history books, you read more about successes than you do about failures. Um, but that's, that's why the Bible is inspired, because God wants us to have an accurate picture of ourselves. And we can have these victories. All the past weeks when we've talked about all the different things from Elijah, we can have all of those victories if we're seeking God and we're focused on God. But we have to be cautious. We have to be aware that there is downtime. There are valleys. There are times of despair and depression. And we have to be aware of that. And we particularly shouldn't make decisions during those times. And we shouldn't pray prayers uh, so frivolously as Elijah did here. But then there's the, the danger of, ign of ignoring our physical and our emotional needs. And that goes along with the idea of him being despondent. And he's journeying out of the will of God. And the angel tells him that this journey is too great. In verse 7, it says, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. The, the, uh, he's being warned that, it's, it's this journey that he's on is, is going to be too much for him. So he needs to take care of himself. And that's the message that the angel, angel gave. He ran, and I have it here in my notes, that he ran 17 miles from Carmel to Jezreel, and this, then this 120 miles now to Bathsheba. And really from here, we need to take care of our physical needs. We need to eat. Um, the disease of the mind is to be cured by first removing the weakness of the body. We have to be strong physically in order to, to handle the emotional issues in our life. Sometimes when we're drained, it's when these things weigh heavier on us. So we have to realize that. We have to realize that our physical need also requires sleep. And here we find Elijah. We find him eating and sleeping. He, he slept off from his travel. He, uh, the, the angel gave him something to eat. So we, we see here that he's being taken care of both uh, in his physical sense by eating and sleeping. And remember that God put a day of rest in the Bible for a good reason. He didn't want man to continually work seven days a week, you know, every week of the year. He wanted men to have that time of rest. And even Jesus says that it, the Sabbath was given for man and not man for the Sabbath. 
because God was letting us know that, that rest was a good thing. God rested on the seventh day. He gave us that example. And there needs to be that, that time of refreshment. There needs to be that downtime. Now, Horeb, he goes here now, and he travels, and he goes to Horeb. And Horeb is another 200 miles. Um, and it's approximately a 12-day journey. Um, in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 2, the Bible says that Kadesh Barnea is an 11-day journey from Horeb. So they traveled from Horeb up to Kadesh Barnea, and Kadesh Barnea is just south of um, Beersheba. So it's about a 12-day journey. But So I don't know. I, the Bible really doesn't explain this, but it says that he traveled in the strength of the meat. So he traveled in what the um, angel had given him, for 40 days. So, but I don't know if it took him 40 days to travel 200 miles. That would be, that would be a lot because it's only really a 12-day journey. Or if he didn't eat anything, even after he got to Horeb, there was nothing for him to eat, and so he had fasted a total period of 40 days. So I can't prove one way or the other, um, but for 40 days, uh, he went without food as he traveled. And uh, it's interesting, and I didn't realize this until uh, I, I, in the book that I was reading by, by Meyer, I didn't realize that, or put this together, all three of the people on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, all did a 40-day fast. I thought that was kind of interesting. I had never, it had never dawned on me before. So each one of these men had, um, had done a fast. It's also kind of interesting, too, that, that none of their bodies were found. So Jesus rose from the dead. Moses, God hid his body. They, don't, they never knew where it was. And Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind. So it's, not a, it's just kind of a coincidence, not a, not a biblical uh, theology thing. But um, I also thought that that was kind of question, uh, interesting as well. And um, so Jesus spent time alone. Uh, it seems to be contradictory, uh, you know, when we say that men shouldn't be alone. It seems to be contradictory, but um, let, me, let me think about this for a second. So Elijah is basically alone in his travels. You know, the Bible says that it's not good for man to be alone. Um, and so... But we find in the Bible, we find these periods where people spent time alone. Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the desert being tempted of Satan. Um, he spent that time alone. Jesus spent a lot of time alone. He spent a lot of time in prayer, um, as, as was his uh, habit. Um, so Jesus spent a lot of time alone. Moses had 40 years in the backside of the desert and, and uh, sheep herding, and he spent time alone. And um, Paul in Galatians talks about being in Arabia, and, and uh, some folks believe that Paul uh, studied under Christ, that Christ gave him revelation where he, where he got the, the order of service for uh, communion. Um, so some people believe that Paul spent time alone when he was in Arabia um, learning these things and... and uh, I can't prove that to be a fact, 
Think about Joseph. Joseph spent a lot of time alone. Uh, he may have been around people, but he was alone. He was the only Hebrew. He didn't have, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it doesn't seem that he had any friends. Uh, it seemed like every time he got into a situation, he got in trouble um, and winds up in prison. So uh, Joseph was certainly alone, and, and Elijah's been alone more than once. <coughs> Excuse me. Elijah was alone at Cherith. It was just him and the ravens feeding him. He was alone in Zarephath, except for the widow and her son, but that was really only to prepare him a, a cake each day. And now he's alone here in Horeb. And so it's not a question of burning out or rusting out, but of living out, um, and it can only be done through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Neglecting uh, physical and emotional needs is not a sign of spirit, uh, spirituality or some grand commitment to God. Sometimes rest can help change our perspective. And uh, I knew a pastor up in, uh, in Massachusetts where my wife and I would go to church, and uh, he wound up uh, resigning his church. But he had done everything, every ministry involved him. It was a small church. He had taken it over, and I don't know why, but he felt that the church had to have all these different ministries, so he took all these ministries on himself. So he ran the jail ministry. He ran the nursing home ministry. He ran the bus ministry. He drove the bus. He, he preached. He, he, he did soul winning. So all of these things he put upon himself, and he ruined his family, basically. Um, and that was why he had to resign the church, because it was that or lose his wife. So these things are important for us, um, that there needs to be these times of refreshment and uh, both physically and spiritually, uh, where we can come apart. And uh, the last thing is the danger of feeling that we are indispensable. And he says this in verses 9 and 10. Um, when he says, uh, in verse 10, he says, And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God uh, of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenants, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And this is just kind of Elijah's boo-hoo moment um, where he's feeling sorry for himself, and he, he feels as though it was all up to him that the fact that uh, Israel didn't convert, didn't uh, rid themselves of idolatry, was all on him. And now... He's the only one, and somebody is now seeking his life. Um, but we have to remember that we're only a part of the body of Christ. We're only a, a member in the body of Christ. We're, we're not it in a bag of chips. Um, it's not all up to us. It's all up to us together as the body of Christ, um, but he's feeling like he's the only one left. I can't believe, after all I've done for you, God, that you put me in this situation. Um, teens can feel this way, especially when they dress differently. And that's why it's so important for teenagers to get together with other teenagers of like faith, um, like teen camp or snow camp or Omni Night, where they fellowship with teenagers that are just like them. They need that interaction. They need to know that they're not alone. And sometimes, even, even so, it's good for, uh, for churches to get together with other churches like that when, 
when we, uh, when we go and we get together with other pastors at the summit, and we realize that we're, we're not alone in this. And especially when you see, you know, a thousand pastors uh, and, and their families, but you see, you know, thousands of people, and they all believe very similar to what you believe. And those things are important. We're not alone. And he was feeling very alone. And Christians can feel this way when it comes to standards. But really, no man is indispensable. He is only an instrument of God. The recognition of ourselves as part of God's plan, other hands as well um, as his were to carry on the work of the judgment and mercy. And so the, he, in the next passages, it talks about how he went to Jehu and he went to Elisha. And then there was a, a, God told him that there were 7,000 that still had not bowed the knee. So he wasn't alone. It wasn't all up to him. And he was indispensable because other people would be carrying out uh, God's plan in the future. And Elisha certainly did that. And the assurance of God never works in vain. The results may be hid from us, but they are known to him. I always like that, that Jack Hiles uh, um, illustration about watching his mother do needlepoint and always seeing the, the strings on the bottom and not making any sense until she turned it around. And I really honestly believe that that's what it's going to be like for us in heaven. I think we're gonna, things are going to be revealed to us, and we're going to have a lot of aha moments. And, oh, yeah. And we're going to understand what we don't understand now. We'll understand then. Um, so it's easy for us to look at our circumstances and get discouraged. It's easy for us to make bad decisions or bad prayers when we are discouraged or run down physically and emotionally. And it's easy for us to feel as though we're alone in this Christian life, and it all depends on us. These thoughts are particularly prevalent uh, when we have encountered a great spiritual victory in our lives. God did not want us to know uh, what a spiritual giant Elijah was, but I'm sorry, yeah, uh, but also that he was a man of like passions, and in this case, revealing to us his failures. We all deal with failure. We all deal with discouragement. I like what Luke wrote during the storm um, in Melita when, when they were in that storm for weeks on end and uh, Eurocladon or Euroclidon, whichever way you prefer to pronounce that. But he says this, and I've always, I always remember this from a Larry Brown uh, message that he gave. But um, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. So they... They, sh they put the anchors out and let the boat, you know, settle, and then they waited for the day. They wished for the day. And that's exactly, sometimes we just need to cast out our anchors onto the solid rock and ride out the storm because tomorrow is another day. And many of our problems, many of our circumstances are only temporary. And I know it's a cliche, but uh, they say, uh, do not forget in the night what, what God has given you in the light. And it, it, it may sound cliche, but it's really true. We can't forget during the times when we're in despair or we're having troubles or we're in a particular trial. We have to remember that God's promises are still true even then. And so we will have, we will have victories in our life and we will have failures in our life. But how we adapt to those failures, and I, 
I think that that's why God put this particular passage in here, is that, so that we can understand that it wasn't all roses for Elijah, that it wasn't all successes and it wasn't all victories, that he had to face real circumstances. And um, he had these trials as well because he was a man of like passion. And let's pray. Father, again, I do thank you for an opportunity to preach your word. And Father, I pray if there is anyone here watching to this service, either live stream or afterwards on YouTube, I pray uh, if they're not saved, that they would think about what they've heard. I pray that they would come to know you as Savior. I pray that they would realize that they're a sinner. I pray that they'd realize that they're destined for hell. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in their hearts toward salvation, that they'd understand that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, and they'd ask him to be their Lord and Savior, placing their faith and trust wholly in him. And Father, I pray for our folks, and I pray that you would help each one of us to be spiritually strong during this time and to grow closer to you. And I pray for those who are not members of our church that are watching. I pray that they, too, would grow spiritually through the encouragement of your word. And bless us until we meet again, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.